to, uh, to the message come without any planning or intention. Because today's message is taken from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 7. We'll be looking in a bit. It's entitled, Who is Really in Control? And one of the, uh, one of the most interesting uh, things about life in which we can, ways that we can feel out of control is, is uh, with our children. Those of us who have children or grandchildren, when things uh, happen and occur in their lives and there's times when we're, we can make things happen. Let's see. And uh, how's that? No? It's on? It's on under there. It's on right here. We're good now? All right. Good. Um, you know, and when there's things that, uh, that we can't uh, make happen for our kids, that's, that's tough at times. And so this morning, as I was uh, preparing, getting ready, and, and, and getting ready to come to church, and I get a call from Marin, and uh, a light has come on in the car. And, and she's on her way this morning. She was on her way um, for her first Sunday at a, a new church internship, uh, where she's part of her education. She's uh, doing a degree in worship uh, leadership, which is kind of a combo degree with music and ministry combined, and, and she was on her way to, a, to an internship uh, a good distance away from her school this morning, and, and so a light comes on, and she, well, what is it? Describe it to me, and so she's telling me about it, and then, you know, I'm putting the phone on speakerphone, and, and, uh, and I'm trying to get ready, and trying to listen to what she's saying, and trying to figure out what's, what's going on, and, and, uh, and along the way, you know, I've been, been checking in and, okay, where are you now? Okay, I think it's safe to keep going. Did you get there? You know, how's everything? Making, keep in touch, getting in touch with folks uh, to make sure that she got there and that the car's going to get looked at. And, you know, there's these situations where uh, when you're not there and in control and things in life where where you just, sometimes you're there and you think, I got this, I can handle it. And then there's situations where you're, I can't handle it. I can't make this better. And we're reminded of the, the limits of our control. Well, we're, um, we're definitely in a place in life where we are uh, this year, <laughs> this season of life. We are all asking who's in control <laughs> What's going on with this world and the instability and, and all of the craziness, all the difference that we're going through? And, and Isaiah, um, this passage is a, is, a, is a really interesting passage, a great passage, because I want to bet that the people of Israel were asking a lot of those same questions. They had been in exile in Babylon for a long, long time. Uh, they had been warned for generation after generation, get it right, get it right, get it right, get things right with God. And they kept saying, hey, we're God's people. Everything's going to be good. We're fine. And they just kind of ignored or said, yes, you're right, but didn't change things, didn't get things right. And eventually... Uh, although God gave them literally hundreds of years to get it right, they didn't get it right. And eventually, in a, in a series 
of, of, of times they were taken and many of the people were taken and transplanted away from their home, exiled to Babylon. And they were wondering, is life ever going to be the way that it should? Are we ever really going to be at home? Are things ever going to be right again? And um, here the prophet Isaiah tells us, uh, gives an announcement straight from God about what's going to happen next. And so we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 7. And if you're physically able, I'm going to ask uh, for you to stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. Isaiah 45, 1 through 7. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. To Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of. To subdue nations before him. To strip kings of their armor and to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name, and I bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. So that from the rising of the sun to the set place of its setting, people may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray you bless now the reading and proclamation of it. God, may you use it to fulfill and to bring forth your purposes in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We have an election coming up, in case you haven't noticed. I'm sure a few of you, maybe one or two, might have been reminded on social media that you should register to vote. Um, and it's interesting. We have a couple of candidates at the highest level who, who both would say that they are Christians. And even so, although both would say to you that they are Christians, even the greatest supporter would be unlikely to say that Biden is the Messiah or Trump is the Messiah. Maybe a few very radical, rabid supporters would make that claim. But your average person, if they were to stand in front of you and say, Trump's the Messiah or Biden's the Messiah, most people would say, get a grip. Come on. No way. They're not the Messiah. And so I wonder if uh, Isaiah might have been just the slightest bit hesitant when he received a word from the Lord that he was to proclaim, the Lord says that Cyrus, who is not only not a Jew, not one of God's people, he wasn't even a converted Jew. He didn't acknowledge Jehovah God at all. 
He gave him no credit whatsoever for anything that he did. And yet Isaiah was given by God a command to say, These are my words, I the Lord am proclaiming that Cyrus is my anointed one. You know what anointed one translates to? Messiah. That is exactly what anointed one means. Now, for the past 2,000 years, because of our Christian heritage, we exclusively use that term, think of that term as one person, Jesus Christ. And so when someone says, I'm the Messiah, we say, okay, off to the loony bin you go because you're no Jesus, you're no Christ. Uh, But it was a little bit broader of a term before the Christian era. Uh, The Old Testament uses the the term uh, in in different ways, but it was still a very specialized term. In the Old Testament, it was almost exclusively used of people who had a very tight and very close relationship with Jehovah God, or Yahweh as it's more commonly pronounced by scholars today. It it was used of those who were of the the line of David and his kings or of priests. And we know in the Old Testament, uh, kings of Israel were anointed, high priests were anointed, and occasionally prophets were anointed. Okay, And that anointing with oil, it was nothing mystical or magical. It was simply a sign that this was God's chosen. And that was a physical way of making that sign that God's hand, his choosing, is upon this person. And how in the world is it that God would take a term, anointed one, a term that we now call the Messiah, refer to as Messiah. How was it that he would take that term and apply it to a pagan king who had never even acknowledged the name of the Lord? Well, it's interesting because God actually goes on to explain himself. That's what's pretty cool in this passage. He says, guess what? Here's exactly why I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And he First of all, he explains a little bit more about what he's going to do. He says, Cyrus, you're going to be, you're my anointed. I'm going to take you by the right hand, which is just another sign of how closely he's going to associate himself with Cyrus. Now let's look down through these verses. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. To Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue the nations before him, to strip the kings of armor, to open doors. And he goes on and on. Basically, if you sum it up, these first few verses, he's saying, Cyrus, I'm going to give you power to do everything you need to do to be in charge of of this whole area, this huge empire in the ancient world. I'm going to give you control of it, okay? And then he starts to list the reasons why he's going to do this. And he gives us basically uh, three simple reasons why he's going to do this. Look at verse 3. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. The very first reason, he says, I'm doing this to reveal myself to you. What what does God do all throughout Scripture? Just as he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, 
just as he does through creation. And the, 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 the word says the heavens declare the glory of God. God does what he does to reveal himself to us. God opens himself. He acts through, in and through time and history. He acts in the physical world to reveal himself to human beings. And he says, first of all, I'm going to take this very unusual step. I'm going to call someone my anointed who doesn't even know me. And he's going to be my anointed. And guess what? I'm going to do it to reveal himself. But is it really that unusual? Think back to the, to the beginning of Israel when God called Abraham. Did God call Abraham because he was somebody who was out there who just worshipped him and knew him? Abraham didn't know God. He was worshipping other him and his father and father before him. They were worshipping other gods with all the other pagans. And the Bible tells us that I called you to this land. And, and he revealed himself to Abraham and he created this new nation. And he brought and he drew Abraham to himself. He wanted to reveal himself that he might work through Abraham and his descendants to be a light into the nations. God's ways don't always make sense to us. But there is thought and planning and there is a, a love behind it and a desire to reveal himself to people. Just because we don't understand or doesn't make sense or doesn't fit our logic doesn't mean that God's hand isn't behind it. And so God says, number one, I'm going to do something, Cyrus. I know you think you're big and bad, and I know you think that you're in control because you've won a lot of battles and, and you're on the rise as a, as a leader, you know. And, and you know, the, the way things worked in the ancient world, there was always one kingdom or empire after another. He was just the latest one. You know, he was the head of the Persian Empire. Before him, it was the Babylonians, and, and there was the Assyrians, and, you know, there would be others after him, the Greeks and the Romans. And they all thought they were so amazing and big, and in God's eyes, okay, you're just the flavor of the month. But God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to do something amazing in your life. Number one, I'm going to reveal myself to you so that while you think you are so amazing that you're going to have a complete understanding of who I am so that one day when you leave this world and you stand before me, you will have no excuse for whatever decision you made, whether you accept it or reject it. And we don't really know, or as far as I know from my study of the Bible, I'm not sure. And we have some words, by the way, Cyrus is a very a big figure in the Old Testament. Um, because I know we have Sunday school, Sunday school teachers, for you, I'm not going to go look at Cyrus and what we know about him in Ezra and what we know about him in Daniel. I'm going to save that and let everybody go home and look that up because we want to have Sunday school later, even though I'd love to dig into that right now. But um, he's a big figure in the Old Testament, even though he wasn't a Jew, he wasn't a part of the Jewish nation, his impact and how he impacted the Jewish nation was a big deal. But we don't know about his personal relationship with God at all. But what we know is that God worked and God 
had an impact in his life. How he reacted to God's actions, we know that he did God's will. Did he do God's will personally in relationship? I don't know about that. But we know that he, when he one day went and stepped into eternity, he would have no excuse for whatever he did because God revealed himself to Cyrus. So God said, number one, I'm doing this. I'm making this step to reveal myself to Cyrus. We read on and we see the second reason that God did this very unusual thing to call Cyrus, someone who wasn't one of God's people, knew nothing about God. Number two, the second reason is for God's people. Look at verse four. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen... I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. And what's this stuff about Jacob and Israel? So, remember the, the fathers of the nation of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob came along. He was the one that had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the tribes of Israel. God gave Jacob a new name, as he often gave people in Scripture a new name to reflect something new about how he had changed, worked and changed in their life. And his new name was Israel. And so because the descendants of Jacob became the nation, and his new name became the nation's name. So he, he here refers, the Old Testament often does this, Talks about Jacob, talks about Israel, not talking about two different things, just emphasizing the same thing two different ways. He says, for Jacob's sake, for Israel's sake, this is why I did it. Why did God do what he did? Elevating Cyrus, calling him his anointed one. Reason number two, I did it to be able to bless Israel. Now, there were all sorts of other reasons and all sorts of other things that Cyrus did along the way. But God says, I want you to very clearly understand that my people, the nation that I am working through to bring the ultimate, real, final, true Messiah that will come through the line of David, through the people of Israel, I am raising you up, Cyrus, to bless that nation. And we know through Scripture, and again, I'm telling you, go to Ezra chapter 1, and you'll read all about it, about the decree that Cyrus sent, and the people were able to go back, and they were able to rebuild the temple. And you can read more in Daniel, and you can find out about how this was the blessing to the people. He would never have known if God did not reveal to him. Cyrus would have just thought, oh, I'm just awesome. I'm just amazing. I'm a political and military leader better than anyone else. And God said, no, you're not better than anyone else. You just happen to be a person who can accomplish the purposes that I want to see happen. And so I'm going to bless you so that these things are made to happen. And one of them was blessing God's people. Just as God uh, always wants to reveal himself, and that's part of his plan of working throughout history, is to reveal himself to others. Uh, in the same way, touching and blessing his people. That's hard to see. As, as we look at all the tough things that go on in life, especially 
the, the craziness of, of this year. You know, I, I love the, the uh, been so many great memes this year. I love the one I just saw uh, this morning, and uh, one of our members posted. It was a, you know, a Halloween thing, and the, the whole yard had maybe had a couple of pumpkins, and then huge 2020, and it said, this was the scariest thing I could think to put up. You know, <laughs> no ghosts or witches or anything, just 2020. And, you know, we're like, wow, this year, what's going to happen next, you know? And, and so it's, sometimes it's hard to see how is God working in all this. What, what is he doing to, to work on his people? And that's where we go back to the faith that, that God um, teaches us in his word. That in all things, not that all things are good, but that in all things, whether they're good or bad, God is working for the good, to bring good uh, for those who love him. So for those who are called according to his purpose, those who love him, God is working to take all circumstances and situations, your victories and your defeats, your triumphs and your tragedies, and he's using those things with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to transform you and to make you more like Jesus. And that's so important that we keep that mindset not that we get excited and say, yes, I got devastated today. That's wonderful news. But that we keep that mindset that says, even when we're disappointed, even when we're frustrated, God, this is tough. I need your help. I need your grace. I need your compassion. I need your strength. But God, I'm thankful that I know that you're not going to waste this. God, you love me so much that you will not waste my pain. You will not waste a single tear that falls from my eyes, God. You will not waste the hardship and the pain and the trials that I face. But, God, you're going to be with me through every single bit of this. And, you know, that's what helps me as a pastor when I'm counseling people who are going through difficulty and hardship. Because, you know, what, what else do you say? You know, it's one thing to say, oh, you know, chin up, uh, look at the bright side, see the silver lining. There's some situations in life where there's no, sil quote, silver lining to it. They're just all bad. There's, there's some things in life that you got to admit, it's just flat out terrible. And to say anything else is being trite. It's, it's being Pollyanna or surface level. But that's where you can say, hey, guess what? God, God doesn't pretend or make believe. God's word lets us admit there are some truly awful, terrible, sinful, just awful, Totally beyond the pale, bad stuff in our life. And we can totally as Christians admit that. And yet even those things, we know that God will take them in all their horribleness and he'll use them for good. So why would God anoint this pagan Cyrus as the Messiah or as the anointed one? Finally, to spread his name and his glory. Look at verse 4, <clears throat> the second part of it. It says, I will summon you by name and bestow upon you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the, setting, to the place of its setting, people will know that there is none beside me, I am the Lord and there is no other. Throughout God's word, 
God has a plan. It is a plan to, re- to reveal himself to others in relationship, to open himself, to take the first step. God is never, if you ever just are thinking, well, if God would only take the first step to me, I would respond, baloney. God's already made the first step. God's already sent his son, Jesus Christ. God created you. Uh, God has offered himself for you. He's made a way for you. God's taken not just the first step, but the first million steps. God has already reached out to you. The ball's in your court, okay? So God always opens himself up throughout history, and he reaches out to mankind, to men and women, boys and girls, offering himself in relationship. And it's not because he needs you, God needs nothing, but because God is a God of love and desires a relationship with his people. He opens himself to people. He blesses people. And God desires his name to be known. God desires that the whole world knows that who he is and that he receives honor and glory. Sometimes this last part about God receiving glory, sometimes that's the hard thing for us as human beings because we put God in a human category. And if we, if we think of God in that way, well, we think, well, people who have to get their glory, they're kind of conceited or stuck up. And so maybe that means God's kind of not right. But God is not in the human category. You see, God receiving his honor and glory is setting the world in its rightful place. When we give him honor, it means we are looking at the world in the right way. When we don't give him credit and we don't give him honor and glory, we have a skewed viewpoint Inevitably, if we lower God and take away from his glory, what do we do? We up ours. We puff up mankind and our achievements or something else. We speak of the universe, uh, you know, or probability or we make something else up that has to take the place of God. We put people or probability or whatever we, ha- we can in God's place. And we get a distorted view of what life is really like. Understanding God and who he is. And that he is all and over all. That it allows us to properly see the world as it should be seen. And so God's plan for life is that all people will see him for who he is and understand his name. Not only does that allow us to to know how life should really be in this life as we live it, it also is so that on one day when this life is over and we stand before him, that we will not say, oh, you know, I would have lived so differently if only, if if only I would have just realized, you know, can I get a do-over? Because see, the Bible says, it is appointed unto man, and by the way, that means mankind. Sorry, ladies, this is gender for everyone, gender neutral here, or inclusive. Everyone is appointed once to die, and then the judgment. Grace may mean that we get a lot of second chances in life, but we don't get a second life. When life is over... 
we come to the judgment and we stand before God. And what we've done with God in this life, we account for that. Did we live our life trying to do our own thing? Or did we fall upon the grace and accept the grace of Jesus Christ? God wants us to understand that it's about him. So, in Isaiah, poor old prophet Isaiah had to get up and preach a crazy message. A message where instead of, instead of him saying, all right, faithful Jews, let me tell you, we're about to go home because we're bigger and badder than the Babylonians and these Persians and everybody else, and, and we're about to get home on our own, he had to say, um, there's a Persian guy who doesn't acknowledge God at all, and he's going to be God's right-hand man, and he's going to take us home. And guess why he's going to take us home? Because God desires these things. And the things that he desired, even though there was a, that was a very specific instance in time, those three principles are timeless. The principle that God desires to open himself up, reveal himself in a love relationship with individuals. The principle that God desires to bless his people. And the principle that God desires to reveal himself to the world so that they may glorify him. Those are lasting principles. They're important for us today. So who's really in control? God. We have to understand things on that spiritual level. The election, is it important? Absolutely. Should you go vote? Yes. Whether you turn off Facebook and all its reminders? Yes. But guess what? No matter what happens in early November, God is in control. Not a man, not a party, not a country, but God is in control. And ultimately, it is his desire to reveal himself, to bless his people, and to glorify his name that fulfills his purpose and that you and I should keep in mind as our ultimate goal as his servants. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. And Lord, even as you have called us to be active as salt and light, and, and Father, um, doing what is right, and that involves our engagement in all levels of society, including our, our duty as citizens, Father, help us to just remember in all of this, God, our ultimate citizenry is in heaven. And God, that you are in control. Even when our children are far away and we can't get to them. Even when there's a disease that the doctors don't know how to handle. Even when there is a grief that we don't have a quick fix for. Even when there's a debt that we don't know how to repay or a relationship broken that we don't know how to repair. 
God, whatever the situation that we may be facing right now that is out of our control, God, it's not out of yours. And we know this. We know that you love us. We know that you desire to draw closer to us. We know that you want to take these things, all things, both good and bad, and use them to make us more like Jesus. And God, you want to work in our lives so that your Holy Spirit is empowered in such a way to, to work, to flow through us so that others see Jesus in us. And that's what we want. And Father, however your spirit has spoken to hearts today, I pray that we would just respond to you in obedience and faith. Whatever you're calling us to do, may we say yes, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Yes to repentance. Yes to saying I'm sorry. Yes to forgiving. Yes to letting go of something, whatever it is you've called us to do. Lord, may we do it now. And God, we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.